And we, and we are, are not, not your attorneys. So in this segment of... Who said that? Who said that? Um, I think, Desiree, you are at the end of your rope here. You are pretty tuckered out from this culture con business, huh? Yes, I am. I am still exhausted. I feel like I'm getting a cold, um, but I'm trying to maintain. I'm going down for the count, though. Uh, we had a full week of CultureCon events, anywhere ranging from events with Netflix to screenings with HBO, yeah. an exclusive screening with Universal for Lena and Melina's Fam, Queen, and Slam, which was epic. Tyrone, you were there. Did you oh, enjoy yeah. the movie? Oh my gosh. When I tell you, I'm not even trying to like boost up this movie to more than it's supposed to be, but every emotion that a human being can experience, I experienced in that movie. I was happy, crying, laughing, sad. I was apprehensive. I was scared. There was a little bit of horror type theme to it at times. It literally gave you every single emotion. And I'm just so proud of Lena Waithe and Melina Mastukas for that being their first film and it being just so, such a strong film. Yeah, um, it Dana was Kalua great. Too. Um, yeah. And Jody, what's her name? Jody Turner? That sounds about right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, she was amazing. She was yeah. so good. And I believe this was her first movie as well. Um, you know, followed by the screening, Lena Molina did a Q&A and just the blackness of it all and them not caring whether white people understood it. Like, it was literally mm-hmm. made for us and by us. And that's the theme of CultureCon and CultureCon Week. CultureCon, we started out at about 200 people. Our first CultureCon, only four of us planned this Um three years ago and now our third culture kind we had over 2,000 people our team has grown wow Uh, we had over yeah I said over 2,000 people and just the level of talent from Tracy Ellis Ross Regina King oh my god Kiki Palmer the list the list goes on so you know we still can't believe that we did this. We are happy about it. We are tired. We are excited <laughs> for next year. And it's just, we've received great feedback. Um, well, you yes. Know. Hats off to you and your team, Desiree, because it really was a great event. And it was just so well organized and flowed so smoothly that you would think that y'all have been doing this for like, years and years and years not even like three years so just three years and this is our side job i will say yeah nobody does it full time (laughs) nope we all have full-time jobs um and we most of us love our full-time jobs so you know i don't really see us doing culture con full-time but you never know where this will lead but uh right now i think we're gonna stay where we are (laughs) (laughs) fair fair well, I think it's time for us to get into 
some of those cases that everyone has come to listen to. So first up, the mother of the deceased rapper Lil Peep has filed a lawsuit against his former management and tour company, blaming them for his death. So, as we all remember, Gustav Elijah Ahar, also known as Little Peep, was a rising SoundCloud rapper who tragically passed away in 2017 from a drug overdose. But now, Gustav's mother, Lisa Womack, is saying that there is more to the story and more people to blame. According to court documents, Womack alleges that First Access Entertainment and its employees played a direct role in causing Little Peep's death. Specifically, she says that starting in early 2017, during Peep's The Peep Show Tour, the use of controlled drugs and illegal substances were allowed, normalized, and even encouraged by management. Womack says during a stop in London, her son was gifted a bottle of pills by one of his managers during a group dinner. She further alleges in the suit that the rampant drug use continued later in 2017 during Peep's final Come Over When You're Sober tour, Womack says Peep was regularly supplied with Xanax, <laughs> ketamine, and other drugs while on the road. Womack says all this came to a head when towards the end of the tour, when Gustav was exhausted and ready to quit the tour, he was encouraged by Belinda Mercer, an employee of First Access, to take an excessive amount of Xanax so he would get sick, and then insurance would cover the cancellation of the show. Not too long after, that's when Gustav was found dead on November 15, 2017, on his tour bus from an overdose of Xanax and fentanyl. So, based off of all of that, so now his mother and the administrator of his estate are suing first access and involved employees for negligence, breach of contract, and wrongful death in the Los Angeles County Superior Court asking for unspecified damages and stick around for the breakdown where we we go into a little bit more about what a wrongful death lawsuit is. Paul A. Matiasik, a lawyer for Walmart, said we acknowledge and obviously that Goose had a role in his own death. However, in evaluating the legal responsibility for someone's untimely death, it is not a binary decision. He added, noting that juries in California could assign fault as they see appropriate. First Access Entertainment had the power, they had the influence and control over Gustav's career and specifically this tour, said the lawyer. There are duties associated with having that type of control. So we will definitely pay close attention to this case because this is a sort of unspoken part of the industry about how people who are hired, who are only hired to make or you perform your duties as an artist are not really that concerned about your well-being as an individual. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if it's like if legal liability starts to be attached to the people on a celebrity's team, it could open up a Pandora's box of lawsuits in the future. And I think that even um, who had the drug overdose? Uh, Mac Miller. Three people have been arrested so yes. far in connection with his death. Three, three to five people, I believe. But honestly, you know, I'm kind of like, I don't really know how I feel about people being criminally charged for allegedly supplying drugs to these artists because 
at the end of the day, the artist is taking it themselves. There's not, they're not being forced to take these drugs. And if you have been around someone who's a drug addict, mm -hmm. they are very violent. They, you know, request these drugs and being that you work for them, I won't say it's quote unquote your job to uh -huh. supply them drugs, but essentially like it, sometimes you get in the situation where you got to do what I say because I'm giving you this job and I'm paying you and you know, making uh -huh. sure you have this livelihood or you are out of a job. So I don't know. It's a, yeah. it's a sticky situation. I don't think that, you know, supplying drugs is necessarily a good thing, but also if you are put in that position to where you have to, in order to ma maintain your livelihood, yeah, should you be held accountable for the death of them deciding how much they want to take in overdosing? I don't really know. The yeah. person who dies have to have some accountability in that as well. Yeah, I think this was interesting because this topic was sort of broached with Demi Lovato when she had her overdose. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because they were trying to say there was someone on her team who did it. And, you know, I don't think that really went anywhere legally, but it'll be interesting to see if, you know, this starts to become like a thing where people are suing the ones who are supplying the drugs or, you know, encouraging the behavior. So this will be a space to watch. because, Like I said, it is more rampant than people may think in the industry. Mm -hmm. Well, next up, Duchess Meghan Markle and Prince Harry are taking on the British media for violating their privacy. The world's most famous royal couple, not J&B, have had enough of tabloid antics. In a letter to the public posted on Meghan and Harry's website, they announced they are suing Associated Newspapers for the quote-unquote Mail on Sundays, one of the Associated Tabloid Newspapers' alleged unlawful publication of a private letter written by Meghan. And a side note, we are not sure what the private letter is about and what we are not about to do is Google it because what? It's it is none, none of our business. None of our business. We don't care what it is. That's what the issue is right away. But if you read the message the couple posted, you will see that clearly Harry is fed up with the shenanigans and will not have you disrespecting his life anymore. So he says, this particular legal action, I won't even try a British accent. Well, maybe <laughs> I'll, hold on, let me try. <clears throat> me, 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 me. This particular, this particular legal action hinges on one incident and a long and disturbing pattern of behavior by British tabloid media. The contents of a private letter were published unlawfully in an unintentionally destructive manner to manipulate you, the reader, and further the divisive agenda of the media group in question. In addition, their unlawful publication of this private document, they purposely misled you by strategically omitting select paragraphs, specific sentences, and even singular words to mask the lies that they have perpetuated for over a year. Thank you. <laughs> Good job, Tyrone. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll take that British accent. <laughs> <laughs> the couple is personally funding the litigation for all the haters who will be like, why are they spending taxpayer money on this? And they have promised to donate any damages to, anti, to an anti-bullying charity. The case was filed in the Chancery Division of the High 
court in the UK, obviously, their claims include misuse of private information, infringement of copyright, and breach of Data Protection Act uh, 2018. So we'll see how this plays out. I mean, when the royals are tired of it, maybe this might set some precedent. I mean, it really is about time because they have really been going to town with anything related to Megan. And everything has been like a subtle racist dig. And sometimes it's been blatantly racist digs. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, she didn't ask for all this. Like, she really just wants to be left alone and be with her baby and her man. And we didn't say this part, but he mentioned, he was like, basically, y'all killed my mother too. And I'm not left about to let y'all kill, yes, y'all kill my wife. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, talk that talk. Exactly. Go on. I ain't mad at it, Harry. And this is the breakdown. Breakdown. Today's topic, wrongful death lawsuits. Wrongful death lawsuits are civil lawsuits brought on behalf of the deceased person against those whom the representatives of the deceased believe were the cause of death. A wrongful death claim can be based on negligent or intentional acts of the accused with some typical cases, including car accidents and medical malpractice for negligence or murder for intentional acts. In order to hold the defendant liable in a wrongful death claim, the plaintiffs in the claim, usually through the estate of the deceased victim, must meet the same burden of proof that the victim would have to have met had the victim lived. A wrongful death claim must be filed by a representative on behalf of the survivors who suffered damage from the decedent's death, they are called the real parties in interest. The representative is usually the executor of the decedent's estate. The real parties in interest vary from state to state, but may include family members, immediate and extended, spouses and partners, and others who are financially affected by the death. There are several types of damages with plaintiffs can sue for. These include the deceased person's pre-death pain and suffering. This is often called a survival claim. The medical treatment costs that the deceased victim incurred as a result of the injury prior to death. Funeral and burial costs, loss of the deceased person's expected income, loss of any inheritance as a result of the death, value of the services that the deceased would have provided, loss of care, guidance, and nurturing that the deceased would have provided, loss of love and companionship, and loss of consortium. This right to sue stems from both state and federal laws and varies by jurisdiction, so be sure to check your jurisdiction's law about wrongful death lawsuits. And that was the breakdown. Well, yeah, I think that was important to know because all you know, these people being killed by police. Mm-hmm. You need to know what you can sue for. Yes, and we will say that in some jurisdictions as well, there is a carve-out for if you can sue government or not. So definitely want to figure out what jurisdictions you're in before you file that lawsuit trying to sue Uncle Sam. But- um, before we get into updates, I want to first, because we were talking about wrongful deaths, um, I want to make a mention of a woman named Tatiana Jefferson, who was killed by the police in her own home in Texas again. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to send, you know, special condolences to her and her family. And, you know, yeah. hopefully in this case, 
justice will be served. Allegedly, she was shot after four seconds of the cop entering the uh, house and giving her a command. So this this is just ridiculous. Hope that one for death lawsuit comes very swiftly. But we do have some updates for you. So let's get into that. So first up, the WGA is trying to get the antitrust case filed by the big talent agency tossed out. So WGA East and West have filed a motion to dismiss a consolidated antitrust lawsuit brought by three of Hollywood's biggest talent agencies, WME, CAA, and UTA. And remember that this all has to do with the whole packaging fees thing that we broke down probably three or four months ago uh, with the agents taking packaging fees on behalf of their clients and it became a conflict of interest. In their motion to dismiss, the two branches of the Writers Guild said that the three dominant Hollywood talent agencies are engaged in a quote-unquote attack on their federally approved role as the exclusive representative of the writers and television and film based on the agency's disapproval of the union's good faith judgment about how to protect their members when delegating representational authority to individual talent agencies. Additionally, they say the agency's federal antitrust claim fails because the guild's conduct is fully protected by the antitrust labor exemption. Separately and independently, the agencies failed to plead that the guilds agreed to unreasonably restrain trade, that the guilds possess a dominant market position, and that the agencies have suffered an antitrust injury. UTA and CAA's Labor Management Relations Act claim likewise fails because the guilds have not involved neutral secondary parties in their dispute with the agencies, and because the guilds are acting within their statutory authority as exclusive representatives under the NLRA. So that was just some very good lawyering is what you heard, because there was that was nothing but facts. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, it's been six months since the WGA has started this battle with the talent agencies, and it looks like neither side is blinking. So we will just keep on following the saga. One thing I find interesting with this is, um, you know, Endeavor is one of the agencies, a part of this lawsuit, mm-hmm. and they had intended on going public and putting out their IPO. And now that is on a halt. And I don't know if it has anything to do with this lawsuit, but I think that, um, you know, it's pretty interesting how all these moving pieces are going, working in tandem and separately. Yes, absolutely. It's like, I I don't think we've seen the full fallout from this because I think the the people who are represented by all these agencies are like banding together to make sure that they stay employed during this dispute. Right. Because otherwise they don't really have people looking for jobs in them on their behalf. So finally... Again, we have, you know, a Firefest update for you. I think it's number 2,466 at this point. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get right into this. According to Radar Online, Fire Festival founder Billy McFarlane was busted with a prohibited recording device over the summer while serving a six-year sentence for wire fraud, which he should have been serving all 20, but anywho. <laughs> but apparently, Billy has been transferred from his medium security federal correctional facility in Otisville, New York, to a low security 
Institute in Ohio, FCI Elton. But before being transferred, allegedly, Billy was in the SHU or special housing unit as punishment for sneaking in the recording device. Mm. So we got a little, I think we got that information from the situation, who was in jail with him. Right. <laughs> Strange. I don't, okay, cool. But although he had an initial release date of September 1, 2023, Billy will now be released on August 30th, 2023, despite breaking the rules. <sighs> Privilege. Additionally, Billy has also asked the court to remove his attorney in his bankruptcy case since he cannot afford to pay him. So Billy will not have any representation moving forward. So basically, Billy will not fight anything the bankruptcy trustee recommends and will end up being personally liable for what the trustees deems is owed to creditors. I mean, that is very brave for you to not have an attorney while you go through bankruptcy. <laughs> I mean, I guess he said, I can't pay y'all anyway. So what What does it matter? Like, he's I'm not like, going to pay him. Y'all never going to get this money. He's so. like, I mean, can I discharge my uh, legal fee <laughs> that I'm right. supposed to pay you while I'm going through this? Can that mm -hmm. be a part of the bankruptcy? Because, girl, I don't have it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, we'll just keep updating you. Apparently, Ja Rule is actually still trying to make a new fire fest happen <laughs> okay and i i just gotta throw my hands up i don't know what to tell you anymore. my mom used to always say as long as i owe you you'll never be broke so that's billy <laughs> what he's taking on for <laughs> let's get into the pop culture roundup first and foremost all of this is happening it was culture con but and there was movie premieres and stuff but in the midst of all of that we would like to say congrats to the Re podcast. For those who don't know, they actually have their own television show on Fuse now. So kudos to some fellow podcasters, you know, making the jump from the uh, the mic to the little screen, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, and apparently Kim Kardashian was at Howard's homecoming. I have nothing to say about either I, I of these things. What does she have to do there? Appropriation at its finest. I don't. Hampton will never allow anything like this. That's why we the real HU. <laughs> I just don't even know what he would find interesting about it, or it's just that's not. Oh, work. actually, you know, she was there because Kanye did a Sunday sermon um, oh, on Howard? the yard. Yeah, at Howard, um, and so he during that time Kanye went on a rant and let me just say this is around culture con stuff so I don't know all the deets so if y'all want to comment please feel free to give us um some more info but Kanye did do the Sunday sermon and he had one on a rant and talked about his support for Trump and he was like how can I be canceled if all y'all hear um, well, somebody put up two images. They put up an image of the yard during the baby's performance, and then they put up an image of Kanye, the yard at Kanye's performance, and it was a distinct difference. I will say that we had more people at CultureCon than Kanye had at his Sunday sermon performance oh, at Howard. Which was probably open to the, the public. The public, exactly. So, and then, um, Finally, um, Miss JT herself from City Girls. I think she was supposed to be out maybe a couple months ago, but it doesn't matter because Sis has finally come home and she's put out a freestyle and I don't know what anyone expected because it just sounds like a regular old City Girls song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
I wasn't thrilled about it, but okay. Yeah, I mean, I listened to it and I was just like, oh. But I did like one of her tweets. She said something about how she was locked up with people, with women who kind of have been in situations because they were ride or die for men or whatever and love X, Y, and Z. And she was like, love won't put you in those type of situations. So moving forward, we about to do shit for us and take these niggas money in the process. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, so I was like, okay, girl. I mean, do what you need to do, JT. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, make sure that you catch us on social and our website, Pop Law Podcast. Um, Lots coming. We still have those video episodes that we promised you. So stay yes. tuned for that. It'll be on our website and YouTube, X, Y, and Z. Listen to us everywhere. And we're back on SoundCloud. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have some guest episodes coming up. So be on the lookout for that. And with that said, please remember that we are not your attorneys. Bye. Bye. Oh.